This is Ashley Hodge with the Sikkim 365 podcast, joined by Kendall Kalt. Ring by spring, and there's renewed optimism after Baylor's uh, great week last week. They go to West Virginia, they get a big road win, and then they protect the home court against Oklahoma State. Kendall, uh, good, to, good to have you on the, this uh, podcast on the Martin Luther King uh, day and, and just uh, talk to me about what you saw last week and what you like and did it give you a renewed faith that the Bears can can get things right and, and really, uh, you know, be a dangerous team in March. Good to be on with you, Ashley. It did give me a lot of hope. I was starting to get a little worried after those last few games. I think the offense now being seven or eight, depending on what hour you check Ken Palm and how good LJ Cryer was against Oklahoma State sticks out to me. There had been some kind of dissension growing, which I think to a degree was fair about, look, they brought LJ back. He was going to be one of the leading scorers on this team. He hadn't performed real well. LJ's defensive beat coming off concussion protocol. But expectations hadn't been really met by LJ since his very nice performance in Vegas. So him going four or five from three in the preseason, Baylor's coaching staff thought LJ would be a guy who could challenge 50% from three. If he's that good, my hope is that Baylor can stagger minutes down the stretch where there's the discussion because Baylor played that one LJ, four bench players lineup that was just like, what happened to this country that we're putting out a lineup like that? <laughs> Right, And so I think, though, with LJ being back at this level, we love Flagler, we love Keontae. Hopefully they can stagger two of those three, and if they do that, I think the offense is top five the rest of the way. Yeah, Cryer led him in minutes against Oklahoma State. He had 35 minutes, so they, they gave him a lot of run. Obviously, he was incredible in the first half and finished with 16, very efficient game, 153 offensive rating for Ken Palm. That's about as good as it gets. I You know, I, I do think there's a lot to be said for – you know, just being healthy all year long and, and, and what that means to your development. I mean, look at Keontae George and how much better he's played the last two games. You know, he's been incredible uh, just taking care of the ball. You know, I think he's had – last game he had five assists and zero turnovers. In the West Virginia game, only one turnover, 32 points, handled the ball a lot. Uh, but, you know, LJ and Adam have missed time. And more LJ. LJ was out with a concussion. Before that, he had a back issue. Uh, he banged knees with, with somebody during practice. So, I mean, it's just those nagging injuries that, you know, happened in December that kept him out of the lineup some and kept him out of practice. And then his first couple games back, it's not that shocking that he didn't play well. I mean, you, basketball is a rhythm deal, and you have to have rhythm with the guys on the court. And now that I think LJ, Adam, and Keontae are playing together and not missing time, I mean, I think you're seeing them gel, and I think you're seeing some good uh, chemistry between those three. Really good chemistry between the guards. And then Jalen Bridges seems more comfortable shooting, yeah. but been an excellent defender. That play against Oklahoma State, where it seemed like the Cowboy player, and I can't remember who it, was, who it was in that game, but Oklahoma State gets that steal after Adam makes a really lazy pass. Right. And Jalen just comes down and is like, do you know who I am almost with that block? So I've been <laughs> incredibly impressed with Jalen, and I, I want him to be a 35-plus minute a night guy the rest of the way. Yeah, he's been good. Uh, 25 minutes against um... – Oklahoma State, but I think he logged 30-plus uh, against West Virginia. I'm going to check that right now. Yeah, let's see. He had uh, 36 minutes against West Virginia, so they they, they really gave him uh, the opportunity to shine in that game. He ends up with uh, 10 points and 11 rebounds, a really, really key reason that Baylor, that Baylor won that game. You know, I think, I think you're right. I think he's coming to his own. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with rotations – Dell hasn't played too well lately, you know, and, and he he only played a few minutes in the Oklahoma State game. Uh, Langston Love's been, you know, a little bit inconsistent in conference play, played great against TCU, 
if if, if memory serves me right. And but then uh, the last two games, uh, not as not as good from the production standpoint. And then you know Josh has his moments. Uh, he's he's you know got a huge a lot of potential. And then Caleb also. So you know managing those bench minutes is going to be interesting. And then of course if Jonathan comes back, that's that's a huge piece that's going to gobble up some minutes because we know how good he is and and how experienced he is. Uh, so so I you know and Flo's starting to play really good. You know Flo's really put a couple good games together back to back. So uh, you know I think he's uh, eleven for twelve from the free throw line the last two games, which is really great to see. Yep, the team that played last week would have beaten the Baylor team at the end of December and early January, I think, by 20 points. They're just a lot better than they were earlier. Still, I think, Ashley, kind of what are you seeing defensively? Because that's the side of the court that I think pretty clearly will determine whether this team can contend for a championship or they're looking like an 8-9 loser on opening uh, Thursday, Friday, the <laughs> tournament. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was super impressed with uh, what they did defensively against Oklahoma State. You know, I thought they – I mean, Oklahoma State had – some open shots, but they were the right guys taking open shots. If you know what I mean, you know, Baylor, you know, takes their chances with low percentage shooters. Uh, but they, they really, you know, did a good job of, you know, defending everything that, you know, wasn't in transition. Oklahoma state got a few transition points and, uh, you know, they, they, you know, hold them to seven for 33 on the perimeter and uh, 0.89 points per possession. That's all good. The West Virginia game, I, I didn't think the defense was was very stellar. I, I just thought West Virginia missed shots that were open. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, I mean, ba you know, Baylor did too. But if not for a superhuman performance from Keontae George, you know, ba Baylor probably would have dropped that because they didn't play gritty enough defense to get a road win. Uh, but, you know, Keontae was just that good in that game. And, and Adam down the stretch, and, and LJ was good too. I think that they're going to have to really ratchet it up and, and play similar to what they played against Oklahoma State, you know, against these next two opponents, Texas Tech and Oklahoma, to get to get out of there with road wins because I'm just automatically assuming the offense is not going to be as efficient. It, that may be a bad assumption, but, uh, you know, the rim's always a little bit more friendly in, in your home, in, uh, home court than it is on the road. So I, I think the defense is going to have to step it up these next two, two games to get wins. Absolutely. The defense cannot be – the market has been Sam's Oklahoma State and Gonzaga. Those are probably the only two games that stick out to me as elite defensive performances from Baylor. Have to be that. Cannot be the performance in Morgantown. Yeah. I know you mentioned in the board today, actually, that you thought Scott Drew would continue to throw multiple defensive opponents. Yes. That seems like a good possibility. I am a little worried about that zone, though. It just does not look great to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, it'll get better the more they implement it. But I, but I think the strategy is – you know, if, if uh, a team scores on them, you know, three or four possessions in a row, they're going to change defenses. And it's just going to rotate between the zone, like the matchup zone and man-to-man, -man, you know, and really try to, you know, throw teams off their rhythm. And I, and I like that. I think, I think given the personnel that we're working with, I think that's a, a smart strategy. And, and I will make one comment about Oklahoma State. Uh, we ended up giving up 58 points, but at the 10-minute mark in the second half, right before the lights went out, or maybe, maybe right after the lights went out, was it, it was about the 11-minute mark when the lights went out, I think. Uh, Baylor had only given up, uh, let's see, 36 points. So, so with 10 minutes left in the game, they only gave up 36. They ended up giving 22 kind of in garbage time. But uh, anyway, 36, you know, uh, on pace to have like 12, 12 points per 10-minute segment is just outstanding. You know, you love to see that. Yeah, absolutely incredible performance against Oklahoma State. And this was the first time I felt like 
Baylor punched somebody, got punched back, and then hit somebody back again. Right. West Virginia, that happens some too. But to build the lead, I mean, the nicest thing would be not to have a 13-0 lead and let Oklahoma State come back. But Baylor did not fold, and they never let Oklahoma State make that second run. That was the best I feel like Baylor's played coming out of halftime. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, they, they closed the first half, the last 10 minutes, on a 22-8 run, so that was huge. And, and just really took, you know, a commanding lead. And then they extend that, uh, you know, another 10 points in the first 10 minutes of, of the second half, uh, you know, before they, you know, kind of took the foot off the gas and, and uh, you know, gave up a lot of easy points at the end of the game. But, uh, hey, if you're nitpicking there. I mean, that it would have been nice to finish strong, but uh, overall I'll, I'll take a 16-point win in conference any day of the week. I mean, these teams are good. And, and uh, you know, Oklahoma State, you know, even though – uh, you know, they're, I think, 30th in Ken Palm, or now 39th after the game, but uh, they were 30th going into the game. Uh, so so they're a team that's, you know, although their record doesn't indicate it, they're just a dangerous team that, that can, you know, really take anybody down to the wire, and, and they've proven that this this, this year with, uh, you know, almost beating Kansas uh, at Kansas. Uh, probably should have at least put it into overtime if, if uh, the Guardian Angels for Kansas didn't, you know, uh, swallow their whistles on that, that one play at the end. And then they go to West Virginia – or they, they, they beat West Virginia at home, I should say. Uh, and then, you know, they, they had a, a lead against Texas with like four minutes left, and, and Texas finished that game strong. Uh, so so they're, they're a very capable team, no question about it. Absolutely. So um, we, we got some big road games this week. You know, Texas Tech – uh, that's a team that's in a bit of disarray right now. They're ten and seven. Their resume's terrible. Their best win is against Louisiana Tech, who's number one forty-six in Ken Palm. Uh, they beat them by nine points at home. They they have no you know wins away from home. Like they, they do have a neutral win against <laughs> Jackson State and and uh, and Louisville, I guess in the the Maui Classic. We know Louisville's terrible this year. Uh, but but other than that, they you know they dropped two out of three in the Maui Classic, uh, Maui Invitational, and and then they start zero and five um, from the non I mean from conference play. Uh, so they're a desperate team. You know they're gonna. I mean I'm sure Baylor's gonna get their best shot. But it's also you know if things don't go well in that game, if if Baylor puts a, a run on them, I mean I could easily see this team you know folding up shop and and just like okay, we have no chance of making the tournament. You know, right now, uh, Kim Palm's predicting them to finish 5-13 and 13 in league play and 16-15 and 15 overall. And just because their they're non-conference is so weak, you know, that's definitely not a tournament team unless they win the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City. Uh, what do you see in this matchup? And, and do you think it's going to be as close as the, the Kim Palm says it will be, like a one-point game either way? Or do you think it's, you know, potential for, uh, for either team to run away with this? It could be. And I know it's like, oh, it could be. Why, why we listen to Ring by Spring if we're going to get a could-be answer? <laughs> well, hopefully we can delve into it and kind of explain why it could be makes sense here. As you mentioned, Ashley, the resume we've talked in the past is just not an NCAA tournament resume. You can give Mark Adams some credit and say, look, he didn't expect Louisville to be that bad, didn't expect Georgetown to be awful, and played Creighton in Ohio State and unfortunately lost both those games. But most seasons, if those are your top four games, you do feel really good about what your non-con is. But this is what I've criticized Baylor about in the past, and Texas is a non-con schedule, is when you play so many sub-250 Kenpom teams, you are really hoping that when you think UCLA and Virginia will be good, they're good. And for Texas Tech, they assumed, as I mentioned, Georgetown and Louisville would be good teams, and they are awful teams. And so now that resume is horrendous, zero quadrant one or quadrant two victories, 
heading into mid-January. Bart Torvik gives him just an 11.5% chance to make the NCAA tournament. Wow. And I think if you took one side or the other on that debate right now, you might say that's overinflated compared to what it would be if maybe Vegas set the line on Tech making the tournament. I think there are kind of two paths that Tech is on. The first is that they played some pretty close games, and they have the uh, kid uh, – I, I never know how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, Fardos. Yeah, and then how do you pronounce his last name, actually? The AM, I, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Amik? I don't I mean, I'm just taking a stab at that. I, I haven't heard it pronounced, but yeah, you know, did you watch any of that Texas game by chance? I saw a little bit of the end. Okay. I, I watched the uh, 25, 26 minute version of Matthew Loves Basketball. And, I, you know, what's interesting about him, he's super skilled and he's, he's big. I mean, he's 6'11, 245, moves his feet well, uh, but he's not, he's not uh, a guy that is quick. Like, like he's he's just a skilled player, can hit threes. Um, kind of reminds me. I'm I'm trying to think of who uh, would be a good comparison, like a, a a big guy that's just uh, maybe not the best athlete in the world, but just uh, you know does a lot of great things with skill. Maybe a really poor man's uh, Jokic, but I mean nowhere near that skill. Um, I mean he just but but the thing about him is you can like Texas guards were just blowing by him like like his feet were in cement and that caused all kinds of problems for the tech defense uh, after they built a big lead against Texas they were up 34 to 25 at the, at the halftime and you know just in the second half Texas just got the better of him and a lot of it I think was because those guards were just blowing by Fardaz and, and, and putting Tech's defense in some tough situations. He's not near the athlete that uh, Daniel Bacho is in that regard. So that'll be an inter interesting thing to watch. Um, and, you know, it's also a deal. It's the second game back. You know, just you – know, I mean, he's a good player, but is is the chemistry going to be there that uh, is needed to, you know, really help his team win? Maybe in another three or four games, but by then it may be too late. It really could. And when I look at the week, one and one, you're fine with if you're Baylor. 0 and 2, you're kind of. You're, I think it's it's a disappointing week if you're 0 and 2. Oh yeah. Good league. We've talked about it, but I I know going on the road twice is tough. But you got to find a way to win at least one of these games. And in my mind, this is a week Baylor could go 2 and 0. Yeah. And then get to big Monday against KU, where I'll be in Waco for that game. Excited to be uh, back at the Farrell Center for that one. Nice. Somebody's gonna pop KU soon, and Baylor can legitimately say, "Why not us?" Yeah. If Baylor goes. 2-0 this week. Yeah, no question. I, You know, I think if uh, the Bears can, you know, somehow eke out these road wins and they're putting themselves in a really good spot, you know, just to, you know, to get that three or four seed in the NCAA tournament, maybe higher, you know. I mean, who's to say this team can't still win the league? I mean, it's it, it, it looks tough on paper, but like you say, I mean, this league is so good that um, three-game losing streaks – for a lot of teams are going to happen, and hopefully we just got ours over with <laughs> at the beginning of conference play. Agreed. Nothing is over yet for Baylor. The riskiest thing is just that KU winning so many close games. Yeah. There's, I mean, KU should be 3-2 and two right now in my mind. Yeah. And so that they're 5-0 and oh is a tough scene because right. I don't think – I think Iowa State, easy to see them going on a losing streak. Yeah. You know, we love Jerome Tang. Kansas but State, yeah. They, you can see K-State's a bubble waiting to explode. Right. And that TCU game kind of showed it that they are just super dependent that Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson have to be top five Big 12 players every night. Right. They've done it four out of five nights. But if you want to ask guys to play 40 minutes a game, 
18 times, that's a lot to ask. Right. Yeah, and, and, and um, you know, Oklahoma's an interesting team. They, they've got uh, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma State on Wednesday. Uh, so we, they have one less day to prepare for Baylor. But, um, you know, I do think that, uh, you know, they're, they're – I mean, obviously they took, you know, Kansas to the wire. Uh, they had a really close game with Iowa State. You know, they, they lost a close one to Texas. They, they beat Texas Tech in overtime. I mean, they're, they're battle-tested in these close games. Uh, you know, I, I do think Baylor has better talent than Oklahoma. I think Baylor has better talent than Texas Tech. And, and, I, and hopefully that'll show. You know, hopefully the uh, defensive intensity will be there. Uh, usually, you know, the toughest team wins, the team that, you know, controls the glass wins. And, and you know, Baylor did a great job against Oklahoma State on the glass. But uh, you know, they got to they gotta take that to the road and, and really ratchet up the, the rebounding and the defense. Oh, they absolutely do. So, um, you know, as as you look around the league in general, you know, I, I think I think we would both agree that Iowa State and Kansas State are the biggest surprises so far. Is that uh, a fair assessment? Absolutely. And uh, you know, who? I mean, are you surprised that uh, Texas Tech and West Virginia are sitting there at zero and five right now? Yes i I thought West Virginia was the worst team in the league coming. Oh, I thought K State was the worst team. And so the job Jerome Tang's done has been great. Keontae Johnson was the wild card. And Jerome Tang, even at Big 12 Media Days, was like, oh, he's not practicing right now. So I don't know that they expected to be this good, frankly. So I think K-State's the biggest surprise for me, along with – because I thought they'd be 10th. But I thought West Virginia and Texas Tech and OK State would be in that 9-8-7. How Texas Tech's resume is this bad is kind of shocking to me. And with how good Mark Adams was the year before – how there was a good case that he was the certainly the brains behind the operation for how Mark or for how Chris Beard has lived his life um, in many ways. I I think it's shocking to a lot of people that Texas Tech is this. I didn't think they were a top twenty five team coming in, but I thought Tech was a tournament team before the season, and I don't now. So I think Tech is the biggest disappointment in the conference. Maybe they can turn it around. Mark Adams has been a savant in a lot of things, but it just feels like when you kind of look at where did things not feel right. You know, Baylor has that start that it has no business really having in Big 12 play, but good programs and good teams are able to turn things around like Baylor did. Uh, when KU was three straight losing games in 2013, including to TCU, where both self compared it to losing to the Topeka YMCA, well, KU had the culture to overcome that. Baylor had the culture to overcome two home losing or a two game losing streak at home last season to still get a one seed. This season, they could overcome those three losses. This season, they can get destroyed by Marquette. And then hold Gonzaga to one of its lowest points per game outputs in its next contest. I think that's kind of culture from the outside is tough to quantify, but it is easy to look at scenarios like that and say there is something different culturally at Baylor to what's going on at Texas Tech. And then West Virginia, I mentioned in my Big 12 power rankings I put out today on the site. Bob Huggins, longtime lead assistant who's been with him for 24 years, going all the way back to his time at Cincinnati, gets fired. And Bob Huggins in the press conference says, you know, this wasn't all my decision and I'm not going to take any comments on it or say anything about it. Yeah. It's just something's not right in Morgantown with what's happening there. I always enjoyed the few interactions I've had with Bob Huggins, but I'd be very worried about what's going on with the Mountaineers. Yeah. I, I mean, the, 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 it's the pressure is amping up for sure. I mean, they want Joe Missoula and now Joe Missoula is killing it with the Celtics right now. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics, uh, you know, make him the permanent coach, but, but the, you know, that's the guy they want. Uh, the fans want Joe Missoula. 
And, um, you know, I know Huggins is, is starting to get, you know, some pressure, uh, you know, from, from, you know, key donors. And uh, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, what happens with that situation because they're coming off a 16- and 17-year last year. And this year looks like a possibility that they don't make the tournament, you know. Um, and, and, I, and there's some, you know, things really heating up with Mark Adams, too. I think that uh, uh, I've heard the rumor out of Lubbock is that they're, you know, going to encourage him to retire after this year. So uh, the honeymoon seems to be over there, you know, and, and um, I, I think they, you know, will be looking for a, for a different leader going forward uh, is what I'm hearing. And, and then uh, who's the other one? Uh, well, of course, the Texas job is open. Um, is there is there another? Uh, well, Boyton, yeah, I think, I, you know, as great of a guy as Boyton is, I, I think that, you know, the heat's going to be on him. And, and if he doesn't make the tournament this year, I think uh, Oklahoma State's also going to part ways with him. So, so you may have some, you know, uh, turnover at the bottom of the conference, you know, in the three teams that are at the bottom right now. I think all those coaches are probably on the hot seat, so to speak. As crazy as that sounds with Bob Huggins, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Oh, I agree on all of those. The Texas Tech's best case for why Mark Adams might get another year, only year two. And I don't know that Kirby Hocutt can make another hire because a lot of his hires have not worked out. I mean, Joey had a good first season, but had to fire Cliff. Yeah. Had to fire, uh, what was that guy's? Matt Wells was the Utah State coach yeah. that he had to fire during the season. Chris Beard leaves. Uh, Beard leaves. And then did he hire. It's like he's been there so long. I'm trying to think, was there anybody else he had to fire in basketball as well? Uh, well, I, was he there when Tubby, when, you know, when, 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 when Tubby was, uh, when Tubby left? I don't remember. I wasn't sure if he was there when, so he's been there since 2011. Yeah. Which makes me wonder too, yeah, like, did Tubby he have been there? Yeah. Tubby would have been there. For yeah, that. for sure. He would have been there during Tubby, but, um, when we go back to, while you're looking that up, it's well. I think he actually, I think he actually would have been the one to hire Billy Gillespie then. Oh, that's right. Forgot about Billy Billy Clyde because Billy did so Billy I, Clyde come after Tubby or was he before Tubby? He, he was before Tubby. That's, right. that's uh, right. Then you had Billy Clyde. Then you had Tubby who left for the Memphis gig. Yeah. If you've had one absolute disaster hire and Billy Clyde, and then if you have a issue with Mark Adams, has to get fired for whatever reason. I'm just looking around, and I know people say he's good at the fundraising element of it, but I don't know if that AD can afford to make another firing of a major coach. Yeah, yeah, good point. Maybe looking for a new AD soon. That's usually That's possible, the evolution yeah. of what happens. You know, looking at Texas Tech's uh, advanced metrics, it's it's kind of interesting. They're they're only 92nd in adjusted offensive efficiency, but they're 29th in in effective field goal percentage. They don't shoot the three that well, but they're terrific around the rim. They're they're fifty six percent at the rim, are in the you know are in two point field goals. Um, they're they get to the free throw line a lot, thirty fourth in, in free throws attempts, uh, you know, uh, percentage on Kim Palm. But but their biggest thing is they turn the ball over like crazy. Uh, they're two ninety nine in turnover percentage on offense, and that's um, that included in that is. Uh, their still percentage is like 306. So, you know, other teams steal the ball from them a lot. And then their non-still percentage turnovers are is pretty high too, 239. And then they also get uh, a lot of shots blocked at the rim or blocked period. So they're 317 uh, in, in getting shots blocked. Um, kind of an interesting team from an offensive standpoint. You know, they have 
you know, scoring at the rim is really elite, but uh, every other area is, you know, just, uh, you know, not that good. And then defensively, they're good, but they're nowhere near as good as they've been. Uh, and, and their big thing is that they do turn other teams over, and they also avoid sending other teams to the to the foul line. Uh, but they are allowing 33% um, three-point percentage. And, you know, there's, there's some things on, on the defensive end that uh, – you know, just just aren't to the to the caliber of, of Mark Adams' defenses, and I'm sure you know having youth is a part of that. You know, Pop Isaacs is your your point guard; he's a freshman. Uh, Jalen Tyson's a sophomore, you know, uh, but young guy, and the, and then they Daniel Bacho's a young guy too. So so they they have a, they have a mixture of you know seniors and and uh, youth, but uh, you know quite a bit of youth. They do, and just I'm not impressed by this Tech team right now. David Harmon's a good player. We talked about the man whose name I can't pronounce, unfortunately. Awesome. So there's some talent there. It's just things kind of seem to be falling apart for Mark Adams. Yeah, and, and you know the um, the other guy that uh, where, where am I going with this? Not not the other guy, but um, uh, moving on to Oklahoma. Sorry, I lost my train of thought. I, I got the Minnesota uh, Illinois game game on in the background. I was watching a little bit of uh, Terrence Shannon, Matt Meyer, and Dane Danger and company. Um, the Oklahoma game. Is, is going to be really interesting on Saturday. You know, Oklahoma, when I watch them, you know, I just think, man, this team is just – there's not a lot, you know, there. I, I don't think their guard play is that great. Um, you know, Grant Sherfield, experienced guy, solid, not that athletic. Uh, you know, they do play um, Cortez, you know, quite a bit, sophomore, and, and he's not the most efficient player from an offensive standpoint. You, you know, the the Uzon, the, the freshman uh, kid, uh, Milos uh, Uzon is is really good, uh, you know, great prospect. You know, but I, but I just think that, you know, we have a chance there to really um, have an advantage in the backcourt. And, you know, our guards can, can you know, especially, um, you know, carve up, you know, Uzon being a freshman. Of course, I said the same thing about Iowa State. And uh, <laughs> look what that guy did to us in Ames, you know. So, so it's good. You know, I think hopefully – our guys are ready to to assert themselves and show that you know this is the best backcourt in the country. I think they took a step you know towards that the last two games, but uh, you know certainly have a lot more to put on paper this week. For sure, Oklahoma relying on the Groves brothers and watching how they'll drop forty on Baylor combined, but that may not have been the move that Porter Mosier should have made when he got the OU gig. I, I tell you, the guy I like who I've been impressed with. I mean, he plays so hard is. Um, Goodwin, uh, Sam Goodwin, number ten. He's he's a six ten guy, and he came from Wolford. Um, and he's uh, he's super like um, you know bouncy and and uh, you know just does a great job on the glass. He's uh, got a one thirty eight offensive uh, rating, so he's very efficient. Uh, you know he's a guy that uh, has been a surprise for me. You know I think I think he's given him a big lift this year. Yeah, for sure, and. Grant Sherfield continues the tradition of Wichita State players being incredible players elsewhere. So, <laughs> at OU, if you have any, <laughs> yeah. if you have any shockers uh, in your life, go ahead and uh, pour one out for him. So joining Austin <laughs> Reeves is an elite OU player that didn't want to stay at Wichita State. Right. Did Did Sherfield? Uh, I think he went to Nevada next. He started at Wichita State and went to Nevada, I believe. That sounds yeah right because yeah. I think he might have even been a Greg Marshall guy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, watching him in, in, on the AU circuit, and um, I thought he was a lot like King McClure. And you know, I, I think, and 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 you know, the 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 strengths and the weaknesses. Like he's, 
got a big body. He's strong. He's crafty. You know, he's not a guy that's just going to blow by you. He, he, he more, more like a, you know, uh, he'll probably listen to this podcast and be insulted and have a career day against us. But, um, I mean, more like a poor man's Adam Flagler, you know, just, just not as skilled as Adam and, and not as smooth as Adam. Uh, but he can, he can get to his spots and he can make mid range jumpers and he's, you know, you know, got a pretty, uh, efficient, you know, stroke from three shooting 45% from three. So that's terrific. Uh, you know, but, but I do think he's a guy that's capable if we play hard nosed defense against him, you know, really taking some bad shots and, and really, you know, playing, uh, you know, just being overwhelmed from an athletic standpoint, I guess I, is, is the point I'm trying to make. Very possible. Did you see a game recently where King McClure uh, noticed you in the stands, actually give you a shout out? <laughs> yeah, I, I got a lot of text about that. Um, and, and so I, uh, you know, just texted him. I, I watched the, somebody sent me the clip and, and I, uh, you know, s- said, hey, man, thanks for the shout out. And and I saw him. I, I was uh, courtside with uh, a couple uh, Baylor fans for the West Virginia game. So I, I was able to talk to him because he was doing that game, uh, you know, so, I, man, he's he's doing great. You know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of uh, his uh, career trajectory. I think he's getting better, he's better both, at his craft. Yeah, he's both good and it's apparent now that, like, I think the question for King, because he's a smart guy, and he went right to broadcasting for basketball, is would he continue to put in the work? Yeah. And I don't think there's an analyst in the Big 12, even Fran, that does as good of a job about of King of being like, you know what, I don't really like this guy. Like, King is willing to be critical about, yeah. you know, I don't think this player's up to the level that he needs to be at, or he needs right. to actually be doing this, or this right. is disappointing. So. He really is the calls it like he sees it guy. Yeah. But he still knows enough of these guys from playing them. And I've just been like, I, I like King a lot. Yeah. Uh, he was telling, I walked over from the hotel to Big 12 Media Days with him a couple of years back. And the stories he had were just absolutely insane and wild <laughs> and funny. Right. But he's really putting the work. And so I think, you know, all of the Baylor folks should be proud of fellow alum King McClure. Yeah. No question about it. Uh, excited to watch his uh, progress as a broadcaster and. I know he still loves the Bears. I mean, he does a pretty good job of of not showing that bias. Like, like you know, and, and, and speaking of that, you know, I, I know we talked about this on the message board some, but um, whenever I catch a, a game where Robbie Hubble is doing the game, man, he has been he's terrific. Like, I, I think he's he's one of the best out there as well. Another guy who puts in the work despite being a former star. I mean, that's right. the whole deal. You got to work, and those guys put in the work where you know. They come into a game. They know who the guys are. They know where they went to college. They've talked to their people. That's what I want to see from broadcasters. And you don't always get that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No question. Okay. We've gone long enough. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's good to get some thoughts uh, before this big week. Hopefully we can talk next week after two key wins and, and, you know, right before the Kansas game, Uh, that would be awesome if we could get to four and three in conference and be hosting Kansas on Monday, big Monday game. But, uh, you know, if you get a chance to go support the Bears in Lubbock or, or uh, Norman, uh, get out there. I don't think either environment's going to be anywhere near sold out. You know, Lubbock uh, had, you know, a great thing going, but I was looking at tickets yesterday and, and there was a ton under 15 bucks, you know. So I think uh, it's it's not going to be the most raucous crowd with them being 10 and 7 and 0 and 5 in conference. Uh, so good chance for the Bears to to keep their losing streak alive uh, for the for the Red Raiders and return the favor of the sweep, you know, last year and, and hopefully uh, get a sweep this year. Uh, you got to start by winning the one in Lubbock and uh, you can't go 35 and five until you go 13 and five. So sick and bears. Yep. All right. Good job. Thanks, Kendall. Appreciate it. Yep. Appreciate it, Ashley. All See right. you, man. Take Bye. Care. Bye.